the everything else is powered by Ink and Abstracta. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Everything Else podcast. So, we're in our second season. This is our 19th episode, and so far we've been discussing all these core skills, the potential impact they have on how we live our lives and how we do our work. Basically, on how we connect with others. Indeed. Hello, hello. Hello. Now, did you just say 19th? I did. Counting the bonus tracks, though. I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> mm. But anyway, it's incredible that it's been a year already, right? For those who don't know yet, we started off as a way to share our experiences and reflections. And in doing so, we have discovered that we are learning so much on these issues. It's incredible. As it wasn't enough, through the podcast. Many of you guys are joining the conversation, so we are very grateful for that. Yes, we are. And just for a second, I'd like to pause and say how amazing it is for us when you contact us with your reflections based on the episodes. It's what keeps us going. Thank you so much for that, for taking the time to show your love. You know, podcasting is a little lonely in that sense, yes. isn't it? It's like you're talking into an abyss. You don't know if there's other people on the other side. So it's nice to know that there's other people on the other side and even nicer to know that our ramble has some sort of impact. Totally. <laughs> and you might have realized this already, but one of our biggest drivers to do this is because we believe that they are such relevant life skills for us, for humans, right? To face the challenges of this day and age. And as teachers, we can't help passing these on. Sure thing. So to us, it feels so fascinating, as you have already realized. And we are always saying... Everything's always fascinating. Yes. And we always say that we hope these episodes trigger more questions and conversations because all these skills can be learned. Excellent. These skills can be learned. And since you've nice, so nicely dealt the learning card... Huh. <laughs> but a coincidence. As if, as if this wasn't planned. I'll introduce the topic then, shall I? You guessed it. We'll be talking about learning today. Learning as a core skill because it's something that we have to do for life, not just at school or uni. Exactly. So, this episode we'll be discussing what learning is and how to make it deep and long-lasting, the role metacognition plays and what metacognition is <laughs> in the learning process, how we can promote learning environments that promote relevant learning for kids and adults, lots of promoting here, and why learning is important all our lives. And of course, we'll give you some hacks on how to connect with your own curiosity and ignite the love for knowledge in others and make learning an everyday thing. Ah, that sounds great. All right, let's get to it then. Learning. Are we, we're not going to do the Wikipedia thing. No. What are we talking about when we're talking about learning? Or, as somebody in the teaching field went, once asked me, what is learning anyway? What is learning anyway? <laughs> well, there are many different definitions of learning. I'm going to share my personal favorite by a guy called Doug Fisher. I say a guy and really he's like a PhD professor of <laughs> educational leadership at San Diego State University. But anyway, Doug, he defined learning as change. As in, after the learning experience, I am different conceptually or physically. What do you think? I love that definition because it brings out 
the learning out of the classroom, mm -hmm. as you mentioned before. And we can use the lenses metaphor that we always talk about here, right? Yeah. It's like wearing a new pair of lenses or maybe cleaning the lenses so you see differently. <laughs> Take out the, the fingerprints. There. Yeah, or the fog. <laughs> <laughs> and this can mean that you can learn anywhere and through anything, right? Yes, that's what I loved about it too, because it applies to anything. A conversation, a class, a mistake, <laughs> a, a mistake, podcast. A podcast. <laughs> Now, this definition of learning, I can take it out of the classroom, but also if I analyze what goes on in a classroom, this experience of being changed by learning that we said, it sounds lovely. But it doesn't happen all the time. No. So we're not always necessarily learning, even if we are in a classroom. Totally. Uh, I don't feel also that this is what people have in their minds when they think about learning, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm, guess I'm guessing here, totally. Oh, But I'd say you guys on the other side, when you're thinking about learning, you are thinking more of the more traditional meanings of learning. Like torture or... <laughs> Well, let's let's put them differently. Like my theories are theory number one, mm -hmm. when we consider learning as to be able to define concepts in words, to understand something in theory, to be able to give, quote, the correct answer, okay. unquote. Or theory number two, adopting new cognitive tools to your mental toolkit. You know, many times it, you're not even aware that you have acquired these mental tools, but it gets to a point where these tools become part of how you see the world, like acquiring. So you're asking me which one is which one I think is is learning or which one defines learning? Well, I think that those are the ones that we might pull consider learning. Yeah. Which one do you think it is? Well, the second one sounds much more profound, doesn't mm -hmm. it? I think everyone who's going to listen to it is going to say, well, number two, because you said, what, mental tool. <laughs> <laughs> so that, is, that would be the correct answer. The correct answer. <laughs> Everybody would say that one, I think. But it makes me think of knowing the meaning of words in a foreign language or knowing the grammatical rules versus actually having a conversation with someone when you're learning a language. I, I think we need to make a disclaimer here that you know we're both language teachers. Yeah. And so even though this is not about language learning, it's about learning in general, I think. I, Many I, of I, our I can examples. see us going into down the, the language learning road very often. But that is a great example and many of you can relate to it, mm. right? Both scenarios we mentioned would be learning. Okay. But the effects are not the same, right? No. Very roughly speaking, we could say that the first is learning and the other one is acquiring, mm -hmm. or we could define them as learning and deep learning. Deep learning. <laughs> Let's focus on that for a second. It's a big word and it's a core to quality learning, right? The distinction between surface learning and deep learning, setting some basic foundations versus incorporating. Exactly. So when we talked about critical thinking in our last episode, we talked about how some sort of processing was involved, right? Yeah. Input, processing, and then output in the form of a conclusion, assumptions, hypotheses. Mm -hmm. Well, deep learning is related in that it implies tapping into higher order thinking skills. Uh -huh. I receive the knowledge and then I apply the concept in other settings. It's not just that I repeat. So 
As a psychologist and a teacher, as you said, I feel here that we need to go back to the work of Jean Piaget to talk about this. Can we do that? Mm -hmm. So if you've never heard of the name of the man, he's our Swiss of the week. I like that. Good job. Not there. Greek here, Swiss <laughs> of the week today. He's a developmental psychologist and he's considered the father of modern pedagogy. All right. So he focused on children though, right? Yes. I suppose that it still applies for everyone. Totally. And everything that we're talking about today applies for children and applies for everyone. Children, older children or teenagers, adults, whatever age. Yeah. Because this is very important in this ever-changing world that we're living in. Mm. And learning never ends. Never ends. I want that t-shirt. <laughs> are we, we are opening a store <laughs> afterwards. Are we actually going to get any of these t-shirts? We should. We totally <laughs> should. So what he proposed a hundred years ago is key to understanding how humans gradually come to acquire, construct, and use their knowledge to adapt better to the world around them. Now, he debunked the idea of learning like filling in an empty jar. I love this. And can I emphasize here that this was more than a hundred years ago? I think this is, this is important and we've talked about this before, right? The fact that we always talk about new theories and new, uh, new ways of learning and really, you know, we're always constructing based on things that we've known for a really long time, right? Now, receiving theoretical knowledge is not enough to learn something, right? Same as reciting something that you have learned by heart will not do the trick. But still, many people take these as valid signs of learning. Many times we're testing. Yeah. Learning through this, mm. right? So learning happens when we get to practice what we learn, where our knowledge comes into action. Uh -huh. That way, learning is constructed because intelligence, and this is very important, develops as it does this through language and social interaction. So in this social interaction, we are constructing what we learn and that is how our intelligence develops. That's amazing. Now, going back to the language learning scene. Um, let's this... let's bring this back to ex <laughs> concrete examples. No, but I mean, it seems pretty obvious, right? Like um, everyone that has learned a language knows the feeling of reading about a grammatical rule, for example, or learning certain vocabulary and then actually having to speak for example, and, uh, and put out. that into practice and they freak out, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not the same, right? Reading and reciting or repeating is not the same as putting it into, into practice. Um, so it's in this use and practice of the language that all the parts that you learned in a more surface learning actually become the deep learning that we're talking about. And in rethinking education and learning, it's essential to turn away from the teacher as a depositor of knowledge, right? You, you said today, it's not filling an empty jar, and mm -hmm. I really like that metaphor. I think teachers have to become more a facilitator of learning. I guess the concept of coaching goes well with this. Totally. You know that when I started working in IT companies, though I have always considered myself a teacher, I started introducing myself as a communication skills coach. Mm -hmm. 
it was an attempt to put the emphasis on practicing, you know, whatever worked, right? Yeah. And, and it kind of worked because people, when they think about, especially adults, when they think about teachers, they think of somebody, something else. You think if you said teacher, adults would assume that it's boring? I am neither confirming this nor denying it. <laughs> But there is, there is a certain... Um, people sort of shunning away from more traditional, this filling the jar, right? Like some, I, I don't think it's a question of age, but more in a traditional way, somebody coming in with like a notebook and reciting. Your previous experiences. Thing. Yeah. If yeah, you yeah. had luck, if you were lucky enough to have of the other previous experiences, you won't have that feeling, but many people still do. Yeah. And, and many things are still taught in this expository way, right? Lectures and presentations, even language learning. Like we, sometimes people say that I think what we do is conversation. We, we don't do conversation, but there is more practice than there would be if you're just doing fill in the, the blanks. Communication right? yeah, the communication exactly. approach. Exactly. And, and this happens more as we grow up, right? Like when we're teaching adults, many times you have a hard time because adults have a hard time themselves not being in total control of what is happening. Like, mm. Mm, I don't see where this is going and they end up not playing along. And this is sometimes hard to get them in that mood. Yeah, it's very true. And now that you mentioned play, it is a pity that as adults we sometimes lose touch with this play, right? Because play, well, it plays a major role in learning. And that's why gamification is so huge right now in education. Totally. Cultivating a playful attitude is beneficial to our well-being in general and especially for learning because play is actually how animals and humans learn. Like you put into practice new skills in safe spaces. That means our anxiety is low and you know this means that our affective yeah. filter is low. Mm. That means we know it's not dangerous and where we are is We can, we can fail and nothing happens, mm. right? What is now trendy call, uh, calling it emotional and psychologically safe spaces. So in other words, play is where you try something out and it's okay if you don't get it right. Definitely. <laughs> and this needs to be true, right? Not just pretty banners on the <laughs> wall, right? It has to actually happen. You have to feel, you have to feel it. You have to feel it. And this is because trial and error is key to learning anything. So if you start saying something and the other person or somebody in the room goes, no, or looks at you, you're not doing it right. <laughs> at any moment in life, we need to have spaces where we can do this trial and error. And this, of course, doesn't mean that learning certain things theoretically should be discarded totally. No. But it's just that when it's only the expository part and it's the first part always well it doesn't do the trick it doesn't transform us mm. so uh by watching videos online or listening to this podcast i i won't learn is that what you're trying to say okay so <laughs> what i'm saying is Beta. that just <laughs> what i'm saying is that just by learn by listening to this podcast you won't learn in a long lasting transformative way but It can surely ignite your curiosity, it can trigger conversations with yourself and others, and it can move you mm -hmm. past this stage where you are now. So 
It can be transformative, so stay with us. <laughs> It's what you do with what you receive. Exactly. So, trial and error. Can we go back to that? Yeah. Trying out and learning from experience. Learning by doing, as we like saying in abstracta, is very different from just taking in new information, which is what we many times do, right? Yes. More, 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 more. <laughs> It's very different. And, you know, I got caught up in the playing part because gamification is the rage. And yet, the rage. The rage. And it's super helpful, obviously, in the learning process. And it's important for kids. It's important for adults. And it's fun, obviously. Um, and I, 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 I'm a huge advocate of in, incorporating it. But I think that there comes a point where everything is so gamified and simplified mm -hmm. that it becomes meh. I think that happens because gamification is misunderstood when that happens. It becomes a means, right? An end in itself. An end in itself. It's like, okay, we need to make this fun for whatever reason. Do a TikTok dance. Yes. <laughs> so I have nothing against TikTok dances, um, but I think that sometimes... It's, it's just not enough, right? So for all the studies in dopamine and its influence in learning, which is huge, there's no denying that. There is evidence that suggests that it's not all about dopamine. Have you heard of the Super Mario effect? Oh, I see where you're going with this. Okay, please share this study. So Mark Rober ran an experiment online with quite a large number of users with the objective of proving that anyone could code. Right? So the objective of his experiment is not exactly what we're going to be talking about here, but it kind of shed light on, on some important parts of, of learning. So the experiment was called the Super Mario Effect. And he basically asked people to solve a problem using Super Mario, the game, right? And he divided um, the group into two. The first group, if a user was not successful, they didn't lose any of their starting 200 points and they received a message that said, that didn't work, please try again. In the second version, the message was, that didn't work, you lost five points, you now have 195 points, please try again. So if we hadn't watched this study or if we hadn't read about this, we would all think, okay, the gamified version, right? Somebody lost the points. That was the incentive for They people really to try more. They really care about these points. They care about the points, right? That was the, 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 the dopamine tuition would, would sort of lead you that way. But the first group, right? The one that just said that didn't work, try again. They had higher success rate and they performed 2.5 more attempts than the second group to solve the puzzle before finding success. So it's not always about the gamification and the point system. The point, because gamification is not the point exactly. system. Exactly, yes. Here what comes into action, I'm guessing, is our beloved state of flow, yes. right? Because gamified could have been more fun if you cared about the points, but what makes you stick to it? It has to be something that you actually care about, not just the points. So intrinsic motivation comes into This play, is it. right? Intrinsic motivation. What are the essential points right there? Intrinsic motivation. Why am I doing this? Even if it's a little bit torturous, there has to be a point to it. it you have to care about it. Yeah, it has to be relevant for me. 
The path to achievement is engagement. Can can we get a t-shirt with that again? <laughs> the path to achievement is engagement, but it is. You know, and sometimes I think people or teachers, coaches, leaders even, right? They um we're more interested in precision than engagement and really we have to try and identify those moments of engagement because that's what leads us to the achievement that that we're looking for. And I think this experiment also shed li- sheds light on the role of mistakes and actually reframing errors as an essential part of learning. We talked about this yes. earlier. But my guy Andrew Huberman, hello Andrew again. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I I love the guy and he goes into the neurobiology of it, right? And he mentions that in the early stages of learning it's important to perform as many repetitions as you possibly can and make as many mistakes as possible because the errors are what cues the nervous system to correct errors and opens the door to neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity this is this is where your brain sort of reshapes itself and adapting learns. to the environment exactly and that's where you learn right so the more mistakes you make the more plastic your brain becomes and in this plasticity that your it's it, it's there that your brain modifies itself right or it learns as <laughs> as we would say this is amazing and it's not just this romantic thing of saying oh it's okay to make mistakes no no it really you have to make mistakes we actually learn from them mm. this is science backed now yeah. so go out and make a lot of mistakes yes. and when you get it right there boom move up dopamine right you get it, it comes, right yeah it's after always yeah it comes into this, play anyway <laughs> i i feel like um these in a way can be read as we are um you know heart what how do you call it heart headed like we we want things to get it right so you try again like very stubborn people yeah, yeah, and yeah. that Practice makes perfect. But yeah. yeah, but we're wired for that. And we so need it for our survival actually, right? Yes. So um and that's how you make sure you will stick to it mm. because this is important again as we were saying for kids and we have to let them make mistakes too. It, no to hard. parents. Yes, and it's hard because a lot of times particularly with homeschooling, I think when you think about helping your kids, you I maybe it's just me but I I tend to lose my patience. It's not just you. <laughs> <laughs> so I listen to this and you're like yeah you have to make mistakes and but you sort of you know we tend to get angry when people you're like oh god again the same mistake didn't I just tell you. <laughs> I think that happens a lot because there is pressure on the other side. You know they will be tested for the result that they get mm. not for the process that they make. Yes. Mm. So we as adults we we respond to that pressure also yeah. right and we want them to do well so <laughs> we are part of the system yes all right so we've talked a little about what learning and deep learning is let's talk a little bit about how we learn um there are different tools that we can use in different stages of learning right yeah now there is no one answer here Remember Howard Gardner and his multiple intelligences theory? Yes. Well, what he posed implies that there are many roads to learning and to ignite more people's love for knowledge and not just talk to some people, we need to integrate other ways, other channels, right? Not just talk to those who are good at linguistic or logical mathematical skills, the traditional ones that are considered in IQ tests, right? 
all these other intelligences. That means kinesthetic, musical, existential, interpersonal, intrapersonal, nature, naturalistic intelligence, I think right, it's Which called. means that we have to try and adapt the way that we are teaching to these other intelligences so that we can get through. Exactly. And this relates a little bit to what we were talking about before, right? That we usually lose our patience because what we're doing is just like fucking repeating the same <laughs> thing over and over. I just explained it to you. And so you explain it in exactly the same way, right? And mm -hmm. what has to happen is that we have to look for different ways, right? I, I feel compelled to talk about the importance of rethinking education in, in this sense. Like our schools today, are made for just one one type of student and our education needs to change to adapt to different people and we have to change when we're helping to learn not just at school not just with our kids also with people that we are training people that we are leading right we have to look for different ways to to get to where we want to get, right? Uh, knowing that everybody learns differently. And this can be life, you know, Mer the other day we were talking with my husband about this. And I think, again, the intrinsic motivation of doing this needs to come from understanding that this could be us mm -hmm. and that not doing this can close the doors, many doors, many times for these people. And it could be us. Why do we need to do that though, right? To, to understand that it could be us in order to... Empathy. empathy, like putting yourself, or it could be your kid, right? Understanding, well, maybe your, it's your kid who needs extra help and how grateful you'd be if he or she encountered a teacher who found the way to explain things in a way that your kid understands it. And that means that your kid will be the one who will be more engaged in yeah. his or her education the for yeah. the long run because yes. of this teacher because teachers do that sometimes yes. you go back into people's stories and it's like a teacher of mine told told me and was good uh teaching me english and then i became an english teacher yes uh, any coincidence <laughs> <laughs> but it's true there's always that teacher Maybe it's not just about understanding, but it's about sparking the curiosity that you talked about, right? Because you, it, the information was presented in a way that, that made you say, oh, I want to listen to that or I want to know more. And so, uh, yeah. And going back to what you said, right, about standardized learning, there's also the issue of standardized testing, like you said, right? We, we know that they will be tested in a certain way, and so we try to go down that road because that, that's where we will know if they will learn or not, or that's how the result that we will get, right? And... Yeah, it's not good for everyone. Standardized testing is not good for everyone. And standardized learning and testing are, are huge roadblocks in learning. And you know what? I think the incorporation of artificial, artificial intelligence could make it better in some cases. But in, in a lot of cases, I think it just makes it worse because it goes with the general thing, right? Like it, it ends up being even more standardized. Or, um, or is that wrong? I, I think that we're going down that road, but... Soon enough, we will realize, and it will be very obvious, that machines can do standardized testing much better than humans. And we need to promote other things in the education of humans, human skills. Uh, 
Yeah, I heard that there's a podcast about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is urgent. Right? It is urgent. Talking about personality types, learning styles, all these things that make you a unique human, right? As adults, you probably know it by now that you have some strategies that work for you and make you hold more information. It could be taking notes. Maybe it's something more visual, like making a mind map, mm -hmm. imagining something in your mind as the per as the teacher or anybody who's explaining something uh, says it, yeah. or associating with life stories, making drawings, coming up with a joke. Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever works for you. Or it could be about how you retain more of this information when you tell somebody else about what you've learned. Yeah, that's exactly how I learned the best, by telling somebody about what I learned. Ah. When I was in uni, I, well, yeah, the, the teacher in the me. The teacher in you, right? <laughs> it's always been there. I've, I always studied like that, uh, trying to teach either imaginary or not imaginary <laughs> people. But teaching others is a great strategy, right? Yeah. Explaining to others in a podcast. Yeah. Um, when you tell others about something you know, you have to tell the story, give meaning to the information you receive. Also, you need to think on how to transmit that information yeah. to your potential students or listeners or whoever. And of course, you need to adapt that to who they are. Yeah. So you have to exercise all this emotional literacy that we were talking about. Mm. I don't know. I honestly think teaching is a super enriching experience. I highly recommend you doing it at yeah. a point in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I think sharing knowledge involves deep learning and deep connection mm -hmm. because you get to connect to others who might be complete strangers, but you get together around an issue that interests you all. And this here is the key because many online tools and platforms have been put into use in learning and they are great and they facilitate asynchronous learning and they enable learning for people that wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. That is very important. It's very important. It's essential. That's where the future is. But <laughs> that connection, that human connection, right? That follow up that you can do, that finding the different strategy, that that emotional, that the, the connection, that's what makes learning stick. And that's why teachers will have to evolve. They will have to use tools and platforms and e-learning and videos They will have to whatever. find their, their place yes. in those platforms. But they will never be out of a job because real premium learning involves another human. Yeah, because that magic of the classroom yes. that we refer to at, at other points, right? Yes. We need to reframe that magic of the classroom, but the magic needs to be there. Yes. Now, what teaching does actually is not just passing on knowledge. Exactly. And that's what makes this magic we were talking about. It is passing it in a way that is understandable, yet challenging for the other person. And it's not just any kind of challenge, you know? <laughs> I see what you're doing there. A Swiss of the week and now the Russian of the week. Is that where you're going? You know me well. <laughs> so Vygotsky's work is very important to think about this. He describes this as the zone of proximal development. Mm. Vygotsky says that for learning to happen, there is a diagnosis of what you know. And the challenge that should be provided is that level plus a bit that makes it manageable so you can learn it. 
And this happens instinctively in people, like with kids, right? Even mothers with their kids, yeah. parents with their the kids. The language that you use. Exactly. Yes. It's very important. If it's too close to your actual level, it's boring. And if it's too far, it's too difficult and you won't get it, right? In language, it's language plus one. Right? Exactly. <laughs> But it it always has to be there. Like the level of challenge and measuring that level of challenge. There's a lot of art there and how to achieve that also in a classroom. Exactly. In a classroom, in a conference, mm -hmm. you need to understand where your interlocutor is and take them in a challengeable way, in a manageable way, to where you want them to be. Mm. Now, besides all these arguments why teaching implies so many layers, I dare say that there is another reason why many teachers become unforgettable and why they are so important at any age. Yeah. It's because they pass on enthusiasm. Mm. Good teachers, I mean, yes. right? Yes, good teachers. They're the ones who ignite your love for knowledge, right? The motivation to keep at it. I think we have to take a second here to uh, celebrate teachers. Yes. A round of applause. Can yes. we have a round of <laughs> cheering and whistling to all the great teachers out there that have made an impact? Definitely. And this could also be extended to all educators in general, right? Yes. Because yes. it's not just teachers in classrooms who can facilitate learning like that. Exactly. It can be parents, as we were saying, it can be mentors, it can be leaders, leaders. it can be colleagues, communicators. Yes. <laughs> Friends. Yes. Good point. I, I, I like that. Because when you start seeing things like that, learning becomes much more than than that classroom that we were mm -hmm. talking about, right? It's a way to connect. It's an excuse where we all learn because we develop these life skills. Like we create this third culture. Ah, third culture. We're always back. talking about this. <laughs> I get, you know, I care so much for that space, mm. that space where you are building this third culture, as you were saying, as a way of connecting where we all learn. Mm. Deep learning is way more work, but it is for life. Yes. It transforms those lenses through which you see the world. It enriches your toolkit <laughs> in, in the fancy um, definition, definition that, that we were having. My mental toolkit, good. <laughs> it enriches your mental toolkit. It becomes eventually part of who you are. Mm. And that is how transformative it is. And it has so, more, so much potential. Yeah, and the best part is that it can happen in every day throughout our lives. Yeah, we are very enthusiastic about learning, definitely. <laughs> Now, to recap. Before we got caught up in celebrating teachers, we were talking of teaching as one learning strategy. Okay. Why was this? Because, again, being aware of what works best for you is key to learning better. And this is what is broadly speaking, broadly speaking, this is what is now called as metacognition. Yes, this is like know thyself, but learner edition. Oh, I love that. <laughs> know thyself, learner edition. That is metacognition, right? This wonderful word that you just threw out there. Sounds very fancy, but metacognition is thinking about thinking, right? And it's very closely related to knowing when we know. <laughs> right? We talked a lot last time about the Dunning-Kruger effect and about, you know, thinking that we know and we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, this whole thing is the Dunning-Kruger, how to get out of the Dunning-Kruger uh, place, right? 
In thinking about thinking, I can think and reflect also about how I learn. And this is key to learning. But we very rarely dedicate time to this, right? Or we discard these conversations because these conversations happen very naturally among students. Yes. But we, we don't go into that in the classroom or as teachers or in other spaces, right? Yes. Being aware of how we do this is super powerful to actively making that assimilation of the new information easier, right? Yes. And metacognition describes these processes involved when learners plan, monitor, evaluate, right? But why is this important? Because then they can make changes on their learning behaviors to repeat them. All right, so that's the essential part, right? Because a lot of times we think about how we studied and we talk about it a lot we don't do anything about it exactly. and, uh, those changes in our learning behaviors that's what helps us to to improve right it's not just the thinking about thinking it's the acting upon what i think i want to talk a little bit more about the things the specific things that we can do here i feel it, that it could be useful with this that we were talking about parents struggling with their own kids learning styles or your own learning or somebody on your team right some Sometimes you get that feeling like I just can't get through, right? Mm -hmm. I can't get through, I can't get through and then you find a way and it's like a whole new person is yes. is is in front of you. I remember a really specific case um when we hired somebody, he knows who he is. We've we've talked about this, right? And we received when when we hired them, the the consultant that hired them said, well, you know, the learning style is very practical, right? They have to learn by doing. They don't retain a lot of information. And at the beginning, we didn't really pay that much attention to it, incredibly. And uh, and at one point, um, first week into the training, the his supervisor tells me, like, I, I don't know. He just seems like, you know, I feel like he's a bit stupid, <laughs> she said. And I said... People talk like that about us. But, but yeah, but that's that's that's, that's what happened. happened. Yes. And we said, well, you know, we have to try and, you know, pay attention to the learning style. Don't tell him anymore about what he has to do. Just go straight into, you know, give him things to do. And it was incredible. Like this guy became a huge asset on our team, but a huge asset. And we we laugh a lot with him about the initial perception because At the beginning, it's like, okay, we, we couldn't get through. They were just loading him with information like this, yeah. depositing information in a jar. And the guy was like, you know, he got distracted. He It was it was difficult, right? We weren't getting through. It's like he doesn't understand. This other person can be not understanding anything that you're saying. And, and It's like if you were speaking a whole different language a different language and the guy that was standing there had like this blank look on his face and and the perception on our side was like he's not going to be fit for the job mm -hmm. he's not going to be able to do this because he's not he's not going to be able to well he's not going to be able to do it and, and again the, end, the role of the believer comes into yes. a main always very important right you yes. have to believe that the other person There's, there has to be a way. There has to be a way to get through. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, teaching is believing. If mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, <laughs> another totally. t-shirt for you. <laughs> All right, so this metacognitive work means that you reflect at what happened in the learning, right? Let's say it's your own learning. If you get surprised, if you get lost or distracted, if you ask yourself, 
you know, you have to ask yourself, okay, w what just happened there? Why did I get distracted? Why did I get nervous? How can I prevent this? Exactly. Right? How can I help myself? Why is it so difficult for me to stay focused on this? What do I need to do to stay focused for a longer period of time? Yeah. Is the type of exercise that makes me anxious? Yeah. Does multiple choice confuse me? For, yeah. Okay. How did I study for this? Did I just read? Did I make a mind map? Did I just repeat? Yeah. Or maybe you discovered that, you know, you worked with somebody else and that was really helpful. Right. And so the, the key here is asking yourself what you can do differently. And it's really important to to be responsible for this and in this that we were talking about uh, uh, taking in your own hands yes yes becoming taking, responsible for your for own, your own I learning think responsible is the key word there yes. right because in in this case that i was uh, telling you guys about that was us right that was let's say the leader saying okay what can we do differently to try and 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 get through but sometimes that won't happen exactly you won't always have somebody who believes that they can get through to you or the motivated teacher or whatever sometimes it just has to be you and you have to say okay this is not working what do i need more time less time more of this type of practice more no what is interesting for me how it, Look at the things that you're doing and see what sort of sparks your curiosity. But being responsible in this thing that we are not, teachers are not depositors of knowledge. You're not a jar. Exactly. <laughs> because many times I remember having students who said, you made me fail the test. Yeah. What? Did I? <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't me. Like, it again, you're a facilitator. As a teacher, you're a facilitator mm. of knowledge. And there's a whole responsibility there but the, as a learner you're a very active yes uh participant yeah. in this process active learning and this metacognitive work it it's sort of it's a mind shift right it it's, means moving from i can't do it to how can i do it mm, that's great that's great and by taking a metacognitive approach we're able to manage frustration this is very important mm. nowadays. Yes. And find a better way to approach, as you were saying, the assignments or tests or tasks in yeah, the future. presentations or whatever. And notice, we are talking about frustration, emotions, learning and self-esteem here. Yeah, I, I think it's, I'm really glad that you mentioned all of these together because emotions play a huge role in learning. Uh, don't they? I mean, the effect. You mentioned the effective filter before, but oh, yes. it's huge. Can we go there? Yes, because as we go about developing our role as learners from a very early age, yes, this affects us positively or negatively on our self-esteem, depending yeah. on our experiences, and these can have even a very long-lasting effect on people. Very. Right, like I'm good for this. I'm not good I'm for not, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this uh, I, I do this do well. I can't do this. No. Melina Foreman, she explains how our relationship with knowledge is one of the building blocks of our self-esteem. She says that as we learn about a topic, that allows us to visualize how it's connected to other things, and how it changes our lives even. Yeah. So having positive experiences reinforce our willingness to learn because it's like a virtuous circle, you know? As we know something well, we gain confidence in our own abilities as learners 
and that helps us keep going and it can take us a very very long way yes or it can close our doors even very early in our lives yeah and not just to some aspects right be not not just a subject but it, it can be just a general in, in general yeah i've been reading in in all this reading that we've been doing about learning i read a lot about math anxiety talking why about did you ta- why did you read about that <laughs> what was your motivation for that because we were we were talking about how emotions play such an important role in in learning right and you know I, i came across i was listening to a podcast and i came across the term math anxiety and i was like is that a thing <laughs> I, i when i was a teenager i was so alone in that feeling of panic every time i had a math problem to solve right but it's been studied and many people suffer from it apparently many people suffer yes. from it and it clo- again it closes many doors yes The closest I've ever been to a panic attack was once taking my math GCSEs in high school and it was scary shit and I so I read into it right because it you know it, well it stuck with me that experience and apparently it's because math uses a lot of working memory to solve the problems okay right? and we quickly ever revise what working memory is go ahead it's that thing that voice that you remember while you're using it right that little voice in your head that says 7500 while you're doing the math problem and then you totally forget about it yeah so math uses a lot of it and so if you're anxious about your performance in math then that also takes up space like and it's not just in math right math work uses a lot of the working uh memory but it's just in general our working working memory capacity is taken up by anxious thoughts and so my performance is affected now when i read about this i thought it's the same with listening for example in a second language <laughs> right that uh, students are always like oh my god i i you know b- before they're about to listen to something <laughs> i'm not going to be what if they say something and i don't understand and and that voice in it, it takes up space in their working memory and so they don't even listen they can't it, listen it's noise it's exactly you have all the noise and so you can't even listen to to what's happening outside people get so anxious um when they think that they won't be able to listen right and this can be extended to any learning anxiety about tests exercises expected answers objectives performance can be increased by eliminating these anxious thoughts because we only have a certain amount of cognitive energy so it's important to reduce any unfamiliar situations that might use it up exactly effective filter is definitely a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Affective issues can kidnap our intelligence. <laughs> All this rumination you were describing, it takes up a lot of energy, this mental energy, and this is limited, so we need to free it. Yep. So, now don't spend time thinking of the many ways you might fail. That can do the trick. And this is sometimes difficult or even impossible for you, right? You you are constantly assuming that it has to be a space of torture, the space of learning. Oh god. Yes. Right? There are some things that that that, that seem to be a space of torture. Because okay. even even the buildings many times, like I remember uh going for tests to this very big institute, right? Yeah. To to do some standardized testing and just getting there, yeah. I got nervous. Yeah. It wasn't a relaxed environment for me. Yeah. So I didn't learn there. I went to be tested. Yeah. And 
I, I think I think it's changing and when we're thinking about education nowadays these things become more important and mindfulness is becoming a part of education too right but when I was a kid this this was completely not a thing and so you were just alone there suffering this is changing and many people know that when rethinking education you even need to start with the buildings but we still have that doubt is this going to work yes so we want everything at the same time we want the big building with the standardized testing so that they have that but at the same time <laughs> the reputation yes. of whatever was done before no it's it's it takes courage i think it takes courage because at a point we are experimenting but it's not a risky experiment because we know that these things matter mm. these things definitely matter mm. now for that unleashing to happen of your potential yeah working on your self-esteem as a learner is very important yes the psychologist is here but it's, a, it's, it's <laughs> you have to accept the possibility of failing and seeing errors as an inevitable part of learning and you need to transmit this also not just with your words but with your actions to your kids also <laughs> right <laughs> And these two are easier said than done, uh, actually, course. disclaimer <laughs> for those who know me. So these two are based on knowing yourself, this knowing thyself learner, learner edition, edition, right? This metacognitive work, knowing what you worked for so you can rely on your strengths, what works for you, where you're good at, and also devise strategies to complement your weaknesses and to approach better to them. Yeah. And in case people are still skeptical about the impact of metacognition on actual results in learning and standardized tests that we love so much, a recent study led by Patricia Sen from Stanford University showed that students who engaged in metacognitive strategies reported being more self-reflective about their learning throughout the class, used their resources more effectively, and, get this, outperformed students in the control condition by an average of one third of a letter grade in class. Letter grades being A, B, C, up to F, right? One third of a letter grade more just by thinking about how they were studying, not studying more. And this is a tool that is for life, right? Yes. Once you learn how to do that and it works, huh. you will keep doing it. Yeah. Now, all this talk about tests, it's, it kind of got it got me into an academic mindset, but I want to get out of there and I want to move this discussion into a more general context or even in a more work-related context. Oh, yes, because there is all this talk about reskilling, upskilling. Yeah, do you want to define those? Okay, <laughs> so basically... You them out there. Upskilling is, upskilling is taking in new knowledge based on skills you have. Okay. And reskilling implies a change of focus. Okay, so... It seems like learning is ongoing, right? And it's a must. And I've heard people talk about this as an attitude, a mindset, part of the growth mindset that is talked about, right? Our abilities are not set in stone. You know, I, I have to confess that I'm very glad that this is a thing now. Yeah. Because at times it becomes a bit of a shoot storm, right? Yeah, you have to learn. You, you have, have to, to do this. You have, you have to always be improving all the time, all the time. Yeah. But I love that all our lives don't depend on decisions we took when we were 18 or sometimes even younger. Yeah. And that 
you know, we have to study and what we needed to work with our lives, but then we can change because our lives are dynamic. I think a growth mindset lifts lots of the weight off your shoulders. And it's like everything you do in your life adds up and can take you to different places. Ah, that is beautiful because it's like everything that I did, all the all the experiences, the gigs that I had when I was uh, a student, everything adds up and leads me to where I am now. Yeah. At the same time, it makes you feel very responsible for all the steps of the way. Well, you you can observe this in two ways, right? You can observe it in the Steve Jobs, uh, all the dots connect mm -hmm. in the end. Or in a more nihilist sort of, <laughs> I, we're just lost out there and there is no meaning, but no, I prefer I, I, the dots. Yeah, the dots. <laughs> so one very easy hack to promote a growth mindset is to revise how you praise and give feedback, for example. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable how much we tend to praise ability as a given. Like we said in the last episode, when praising students, your kids or people on your team, go for praising the process that led you to what it is that you're praising. So it's not always result oriented. Not, oh, you're so smart. You're so good at drawing. But, you know. You're a genius. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we throw that all the time. <laughs> yes. All the time. Now, this is very important because you need to give realistic and warm feedback. Okay. Right? What does that mean? Can I throw some examples? Go like, on. great. It shows you worked hard or you practiced so much. All these phrases will show them, other people, that as long as you put effort into it, it's okay if you don't get it right, right away. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it, it comes out natural, but sometimes it doesn't, right? But when giving feedback, you need to say clearly and specifically what it is that you truly liked. Truly liked. Mm -hmm. So the person really understands and feels confident on those things that we're good at and then what what made them be seen and before or we they, we need to be in this safe space before we tell them what could be corrected by giving concrete examples on how things could be improved so making feel safe and then giving guidance on how to correct mm. in a warm way constructive constructive uh devoid of foul adjectives Yes. In, in the IT world, um, many people have told me that it's devoid of adjectives. Like, I, uh, they, they say I use lots of adjectives, which I do. Um, I don't know if I can possibly do that to give the warmth that I want. I think... But it's... it's we have some to people watch need it more and yeah. some people think, need less. Yeah. I think we have to watch the words that we use uh, because words have a very strong impact on yes. kids and on adults because a lot of times we think oh, adults uh, adults are just like kids in the oh, learning totally. And I think that we have to be careful. You have to give constructive feedback and you have to say what has to be improved. But when saying what has to be improved, you have to be careful with the words that you use because you can break that safe space you're talking about. Can be, it's not sugarcoating. Yeah. No, but you can break the... You can break the... I think we need to have another episode on okay. feedback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need another episode. Parking lot, as they said in IT. Yes. 
All right, so growth mindset, lifelong learning, upskilling, reskilling, they're all buzzwords, right? In the et- entrepreneurial scene. Totally. And they ma- that makes sense, actually, if you think of it, because as we've discussed in various of our episodes, it's one of the most repeated phrases by now, probably. We are living in a moment where everything is happen- happening at a very rapid pace and companies need to innovate many times, all the time. And we need to come up with creative solutions so that we can adapt better to these changes. Companies, people. Mm -hmm. Now, change has always been a constant, but now largely because of technology, some of these changes have accelerated and adapting to change is key to our survival. So should we always be after the next new thing, like you said, right? This program tool or the other or uh, this should storm that you mentioned before? Well, in this context that we were describing, learning for life is key because we're going to have longer working lives and so many more jobs, probably. Mm. Right? I've, heard, I've heard people saying in the future we'll be changing jobs around 30 times in our work life. And that, you know, a big percentage of the jobs of the future don't even exist yet. Yeah. So if this is so, learning is going to be important in many cases not to feel obsolete. Obsolete, feeling obsolete. This worries me, you know. I've heard people in their 30s feeling obsolete. Yeah. And this is terrible. Because it's not an age thing, it's a mindset thing. And we, it's like we are objects, we are obsolete, we we, we fail. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> I care deeply about this. And I am afraid that we are discussing something deeper. Because technology advancements imply also that many jobs that are now done by people will soon be done by machines and in many fields yes scary shit yes and it's kind of inevitable in a way but our positions in society are largely recognized through our jobs so remember we are not our jobs we are not but we are largely recognized by them so it and that makes sense because, in a way, it depends on how we contribute to society and how we are productive. And being yeah. productive is so important right now for people. Mm. But that will also have to change. And mm-hmm. But meanwhile, we're stuck in this place, right? And in this context where we feel that technologies are affecting all our jobs, we need to focus on this metacognitive strategy as adults. What things I'm good at, what things I need to keep learning, how I can do that. Like they say, right? Everybody has their Uber. <laughs> and this continuing learn, continuous learning outlook is a lifeline. It enables us to adapt to the different contexts and not feel obsolete. Totally. You can see it coming. You have to do something. Exactly. Like because of the metacognition thing. Yeah. We have to do something with it, mm. with this information. I feel many times when people say it like that, it feels kind of instrumental. Mm. And the truth is that as we were saying, intrinsic motivation works much better. So if we can connect to what moves us to not feeling obsolete, to how we want our lives to live, right? What things really fire us up, that motivation to learn happens for real. And we have lots of means now to learn in different ways. Yes. So instead of taking it as a shoot storm of, I need to do this because I'm worried. No, you can do this in a more heartfelt way may I say that is that too cheesy 
No. <laughs> well, a little. <laughs> you could do it heartfelt, and yeah, that would be the ideal, right? Like and the intrinsic motivation. Exactly, and, and if that not, then that will give us it. freedom, yes. and that will prepare us better for the future of work, whatever that might be. Yeah. So, I I I'd like to clarify something though. Like, okay, intrinsic motivation is really important. That's the way to go, obviously, but. Yeah, there is a point where we actually just have to do it. Also,、mm-hmm. right? We 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 don't really have that much of a choice. And for all of this to happen, it's going to be essential for companies to understand their role in this. Right? Learning is not just a university thing. Like we said, it's not just a classroom. Much of the learning currently is not being done in universities. Online learning here has had a major impact, but I want to stress the role of companies. More companies will have to step up and provide the time and the resources for people to learn new skills for new jobs. It's going to be their responsibility. Companies, that is. And governments to support companies who do this. Exactly, a whole community of facilitators and instruments. You know, for for institutions like like Inc, this is not new. We've been working closely with companies to help them find ways to help their collab collaborators grow professionally. But we'll also have to look into new, different ways to actually facilitate the learning. Companies that take on the responsibility of reducing these knowledge gaps and increasing opportunities, right? I have to say that we're lucky to work with companies that get this. They understand this in many ways, the role that they play in supporting people's growth. But many companies are not there yet. No, they're not, and turnover scares people. Yes, but you know what you're saying is key. In the IT scene, this is a huge issue right now. There are so many opportunities. It's a bit overwhelming at times.、Mm. There's lots of FOMO, right? <laughs> Fear of missing out, and at the same time, lots of people wanting to join the industry and not being given their first job opportunities. Yeah. At Abstracta, we actively campaign in favor of expanding the pie, like one of our co-founders, Federico Toledo, always says.、Uh-huh, yeah, this is that's purpose in action, right there. Not just blah blah, right? Hearing him say that has been very inspirational for me. I I told him I always quote him、uh, because. In regards to English in the IT world, for example, this happens a lot, right? Everybody needs,、uh, you know, their collaborators to speak English, but then they don't help them to get there. And there's only so many people with the level of English that they need, right? And yeah, people, we have to try and get that mindset of expanding the pie, right? Baking a bigger cake instead of fighting over the crumbs. Totally. There are many quotes on that topic, like. It's hard to choose one. Like if you are afraid to train people because they might leave, think about what happens if they don't. If you don't train them and, and they, they stay. stay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Enough with the ramble. Can we go into the hacks and promote the learning for life? Definitely. I think we rambled quite a bit today. All right. There we go. Hack number one. Introduce metacognitive strategies as much as you can. Ask yourselves, what have I learned? How did I learn it? What did I do differently this time? What can I do differently next time? Excellent. Hack number two: perform metacognitive checks as a teacher or as a student, taking this into your own hands. Todd Sakraisky Sakraisky mentions that tests could be too late. A metacognitive check is checking that I know 
what I think I know. You can't know if you know unless you try to produce it. <laughs> Make mistakes. That's how learning happens. Face it. Trial and error. Try again. Exactly. Hack number three. Sleep well. This is like always a hack. Mm -hmm. Restorative sleep is really important, but also sleep in the middle. Power naps, right? Again, our friends of Pixar in Inside Out depicted this perfectly. But um, when you sleep, all the new knowledge fits into place. And so sleep is fundamental. Many studies have been made that the ideal thing is to have a study session, 15-minute nap, study session that is how learning sticks the most but also sleeping fundamentally being well slept uh in general is going to help you to increase i think it was in our first episode retention. that we we talked about how sleep affects our iq i think we put it we, we mention it everywhere like it's yes. always as that you want you want to do well in something sleep well Fundamental to learning, to a healthy mind, to a healthy life. Yes. Hack number four, micro-learning. Cramming is a thing of the past. Forget right. about it. It's obvious when you think like if it's going to gym once a year and lifting 20 kilos and not doing it again, <laughs> you'll screw up your muscles. Well, yes. the same happens with your mind. Mm. It's better to engage in consistent small portions of learning. Mm. Hack number five, find the tools that work for you. Mind maps, reading out loud, teaching somebody else. Um, not everything works for everyone. And also, if you're taking notes, for example, it's better to do that on paper than on your PC. Studies have shown over and over again that handwriting involves more processing. So remember that some tools are only valid for one moment of learning and not the others, right? So don't go about copying other people's notes or taking pictures of whiteboards. <laughs> notes are about making connections in your mind. So in this metacognitive search, ask yourself which tools helped you, not others. Hack number six, pay attention. <laughs> you are what you focus on, right? This, pay attention. There is not a chance you can create memories if you don't have the neural input of attention. You know, our brain is not like a camera recording everything that you can then retrieve. No, you only record what you're focusing on, right? Hack number seven, embrace the role of emotions. Memory is cued by context, sensory information, mood, emotions. Context helps us form the memory and then retrieve the memory. So learning should not be associated with suffering. Yes, with effort, even a little dose of sacrifice, but positive emotions boost our memorizing capacities. Totally. Hack number eight, as an entrepreneur or leader, Identify the pain points of your company regarding training and skills of your team and put your money where your mouth is. Ooh, some major shade throwing. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. All right. I didn't mean it I'm to exhausted. be a shame throwing there. <laughs> I think it should be. I, I think it should be because 
you'd be amazed you work in a company where this is something that's a given, right? That you would identify the pain points and you put the effort in, but you would be amazed at some of the things that we hear when we're talking about training. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's really important that So I hope more, more companies do that. I then. do. Well, I do. I Not really from do. shame, but because it's important. Yes. It's our responsibility for the future. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for today. Yes. We've talked quite a lot. Thank you for gifting us, as always, with your precious time. And I hope to meet you soon in our next episode. Until then, keep focusing on the everything else. Bye. Are you following us on social media? Join our community. This is an ongoing conversation. We are the Everything Else Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from.